Folks, just while the last of the the children are leaving, if you could turn with me to the Bible passages we're going to read today. We're not in a book of the Bible series and aren't going to be all autumn, so you have to listen at this point to to work out where the readings are. Genesis 1 and Revelation 21, so very front and very back of the Bible, Uh, keeping it easy today. We're going to read a few verses from either end of this glorious story of Scripture. So Genesis chapter 1, it is page number 3, not number 1. And then Revelation 21 is page 1249. Just a few verses then from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. If you know this story, you'll know that the cycle repeats five more times as we're told of how God creates the world in six days. But if you jump just down to verse 31, it's kind of a summary verse of those six days. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God made the world, and it's all very good. Jump to the end of the, the Bible there with me, Revelation 21. If you know the story of the Bible, you'll know that although God created it all very good, there's a lot of stuff between these two readings that isn't very good, all right? Because people like may get involved in the story. But listen to how the story ends. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he'll live with them. They'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is the Word of God. I'm sure this is tantamount to admitting a midlife crisis, but here goes anyway. Uh, Claire and I have been watching 
old movies recently. Not, not really old, like black and whites. More like the ones that we watched when we were teenagers and young adults. So, The Breakfast Club, a couple of times in the last year. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Dead Poets Society. Stand By Me. A few others. Some interesting chats, actually. The kids have been watching them with us. Very interesting thing going on in our household. The kids are adopting not only our music, I think I've mentioned that before, but now these movies too. They say the music's better and the movies were better uh, way back when. Anyway, last Saturday night, we watched uh, the 1994 slacker movie, Reality Bites. And you might remember it, uh, Ethan Hawke, Winona Ryder, I didn't know, but Ben Stiller was in there. And at one point in the movie, the, the heroine uh, writer's character, Lelena, she tells her new boyfriend, the TV executive Michael, I'm making this documentary about my friends. It's really about people who are trying to find their own identity without having any real mo role models or heroes or anything. 20-somethings trying to find their identity. Apparently that was a thing in the 1990s. Maybe still a thing today. Actually, the opening scene of the film immediately hints that this is the, the direction that the movie's going. Lelena, uh, we, we flash back uh, a few years, Lelena has been invited to give the valedictory speech at her college graduation. Let's listen in for a moment. imagery speaks volumes. A young woman talking about how the previous generation have got it wrong, about to tell her generation how they're going to live, and she's literally lost the script. She doesn't know how she's going to live. She doesn't know what story she's going to live by. This morning we're moving further into our new series, Recommissioned, Becoming the People that God Made Us to Be. And this morning we're going to see that we're a people who know the story that we're a part of. 
We started this new series uh, last Sunday, and we talked about the confusion that there is around identity in our culture these days. We're, we're struggling to give an answer to the question, who are we? And we started to think about, as we started to think about that important question, we reaffirmed our commitment, at least in this room, to allow God to lead us into that answer. So throughout this series, we're going to be answering this question of identity from God's Word, from the Bible. And we started in that uh, first talk last week, we noticed a couple of things that we wanted to say about our identity right off. First of all, we believe that it's God-given, and we're going to look to the Bible to find it. And second, we believe that our identity is a shared one, it's a corporate one. So rather than answering the question, who am I? We're going to stick with the question, who are we? We're not individuals. We're people made for community. So this morning, as I've already said, we're going to look at this question. We, we want to be people who know the story that we're a part of. Before we get into the actual biblical uh, story of our identity, yours and mine, I want to invite you for a second to think about the importance of stories in our lives. Alistair McIntyre, the Scottish philosopher, in his seminal book from 1981, After Virtue, had this important thing to say about story. He said, I can only answer the question, who am, sorry, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself a part See what he's saying? If we're going to be able to answer the who are we question, we need to know what story it is that we're living by. I, I think he's on to something. Because we all live by a story or more likely a, a medley of stories. And, and it's these stories that we choose or, or maybe that choose us if we're not careful these stories will define the lives that we end up living and the people that we end up becoming. I'd suggest, folks, that that's why the Bible comes to us in the end, not as a list of articles of faith, 1 to 27b, that we sign the bottom of and say, yeah, I agree. The Bible comes to us as a story with an invitation to find our place in it. Maybe you're not convinced. Uh, okay, don't, don't give up. Hold fire for a second. Let's let the proof of the pudding be in the eating. Um, let's, let's see if it's true that the Bible is one overarching story. And if, if it is, then let's see what difference that might make in our lives. I want to take a few moments to give a, a synopsis of the whole Bible. Um, do you remember what it was like to be in school and to be forced to read the classics of English literature? Yeah? Guys at the front here, you'll know what that's all about. Um, if you weren't a reader, you were immediately looking for a, a shortcut away to avoid reading Oliver Twist or The Merchant of Venice. And in my day, it was Cole's Notes or York Notes. Yeah, 
So they would always have somewhere in those notes, there'd be a, a synopsis, uh, a way of collapsing a 350-page novel into a page and a half. What's not to love about that? So here we're going to try a Coles Notes, a York Notes Bible, a Bible in five minutes. Okay? I'm going to suggest that the Bible is a story of four acts, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. So the first act tells the story of creation. It helps us answer questions like, where are we? What is this universe in which we find ourselves? And the Christian answer, we, we read it in uh, Genesis 1 a few minutes ago. We, we believe that the, created, the world that God created, he created with great care and in love. So it's a place that's very much created by a loving God that's good, that's really good. And the second question that, that this Christian idea of creation uh, tells us, it, it answers for us the question, who are we? And I'd say two things about that. One is that we're part of the creation that God made that's very good, but also that we have a unique role in that creation. God created us with a unique capacity for relationship with Him and a unique calling to to watch over the world with him. We could say a whole lot more, but not if we're going to do the cold notes in five minutes. So that's creation, act one. Act two, the fall. This explains how you get from the beautiful world we read about in Genesis chapter one to the kind of world that we live in today. The short summary is that Although God gave us something beautiful, we rejected his offer on his terms. And as a result of our rejection of God, our rebellion against him, every relationship that was beautiful and harmonious was damaged. So our relationship with the world was damaged. You don't need me to tell you that. Just watch your news, stuff about climate change, about plastic in our oceans, Greta Thunberg's having a go at holding the politicians accountable. Um, we just seem to be hardwired to wreck this beautiful home that we've been given. Our relationship with each other is damaged. If you read the Genesis account, you only have to read to chapter 3, and you see their selfishness, suspicion, mutual accusation. They, they erupt onto the human scene but it's not some chapter of ancient history, is it? It's where we live. It's the air that we breathe. So as we rejected the harmony that God gave us, our relationship with ourselves too was damaged. Anxiety, depression, mental illness, they're, they're not modern phenomenon. We've certainly grown in our, our understanding of them and our vocabulary that we use to describe them. But these experiences are as old as humanity itself. All these broken relationships, they find their cause in the one key broken relationship, and that's our relationship with God. We walked out on our Heavenly Father. Act three, 
It's a pretty bleak picture so far when you get to the end of Act 2. If there's going to be any good news in this story, it's got to be pretty dramatic to break through all of that. The good news is that God didn't, didn't give up on his creation, didn't roll up the piece of paper and throw it into the waste paper bin. The whole story of the Bible, pretty much from Genesis through to Revelation, between those two readings we read today, is the story of what God has been doing to redeem the world, to buy it back, is what that word means. You'll see that the symbol on the screen for the, the work that God's done to redeem the world is the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. If you're a regular with us, I hope that, that you're not surprised to see the cross makes possible the redemption of the world. We're going to need to talk about that a whole lot throughout this series, but I mention it for now. And that brings us to our closing act, Act 4, the new creation. The Bible tells us a couple of things about what God's going to do at the end of the world. First of all, we're told he's going to judge the world. Now, you might think, oh, don't like the sound of that. That's very old school. That's not very Disney. That's not very happily ever after to end in a story. Actually, almost every well-told story will have a, a resolution to the bad and evil that's been in it. Think about God's judgment for a second. Is it not good news that evil won't have the last word? That it will be finally destroyed? I think that is good news. God's going to judge the world, but the very final part of this story is that God's going to make it new. New heavens and new earth. That's what we read in Revelation. I love, I love the, the very last line that we read in our Revelation passage. I love that there's a voice from heaven that says, I am making everything new. I love that because I, I need a bit of that. I'm making everything new. It's like the Garden of Eden, but far better. Don't, don't think you want to go back to the garden. This is the world that we live in with all the bad stuff taken out. This is a garden that's grown to be a city, a place of beauty and of peace because God himself will live among his people. If you have five minutes this afternoon, read the last two chapters of Revelation. Your heart will be sore with longing for what God wants to do with this world that we live in. So there it is. The Bible in four acts in five minutes. It's probably six or seven minutes, forgive me. But not bad, eh? It really matters that we start to take this story to heart. Why do I say that? Well, because the truth is, our culture is awash with counter stories, and we are living them. Unless we're paying attention, and even if we are, there are other stories that are determining significant parts of our living. 
And they're leading us to a place God never intended us to go, and they're taking us from the life that he intended to give us. Think for a second about how believing this biblical story could change your life. The Bible says that I've been created by a loving God, that I'm part of what he looked at and said was very good, and I've been given cosmic responsibilities. Folks, that gives me a dignity and a purpose that I'll simply never have if I've been told that I'm a, uh, an, a, an evolutionary accident, that I've descended from, from apes. If I've been created in love with great care, that changes everything. I'm fallen, this story tells me, and that helps me understand why I experience life the way I do. And it helps me take responsibility for who I am and to say that I need help. If I don't believe in the fall, if I don't believe that I'm fallen, I, I don't have those capacities. And I muddle through life on a very unhelpful footing. It stops me, I think, from imploding when somebody points out my faults to me. Somebody points out my faults to me. If I believe in the fall, here's what I say. You're disappointed in me. So am I. So am I. But God's still at work. Third, I've been redeemed. I am not written off because of my weaknesses and my frailties, my worst thoughts and my worst actions. The cross of Jesus Christ shows me that even though I'm, I'm more wicked than I ever dared imagine, I'm more loved than I could ever have dreamed. We live in a world, I don't know if you know this, folks, we live in a world that doesn't anymore believe in guilt. I don't know if you know that. And people think that that's a good thing. Now, here's the problem. It would be lovely to live in a world where we didn't need to believe in guilt if we didn't feel guilty, if it wasn't an objective reality. The truth is the world is full of billions of people carrying their own guilt who know not what to do with it. The cross of Jesus Christ says I'm redeemed guilty, but pardoned. That's going to make a difference to how I live. I'm being made new, new creation, new hope, and new future. I believe that one day the God who's already at work to make all things new is going to finish the job in me. And I look forward to that. And so does my wife and my kids because they live with the unnew me. Folks, do you see how believing this story, really living it, could change everything? This, this is still very introductory. Next week we'll go into the, the actual flow of the biblical story. Hold, hold, hold with me a few more minutes. Let me offer you an image that might help you to think about how you relate 
to the biblical story, okay? Maybe, maybe you don't, don't think much of the Bible, maybe you don't read it, you're not that interested. Think, think with me for a second. Imagine for a moment that you found a long-lost play by a famous playwright, and it's a play in four acts. But you notice that there's a problem. Act three, scene two, appears to be missing. It's there in the contents page. You know it should be there, but when you flick in the, in the booklet, it's not there. How are you going to act out act scene three, two? How are you even going to go about it? Well, I'm told by, by people who find themselves in these scenarios, I think Andrew Davis had a bit of this to do with Sanditon, the Jane Austen uh, thing that's running on ITV on Sunday nights. He only had a part script. So, so this idea is, is a real one. What are we going to do? Well, if I'm committed to, to acting out this story, then what I need to do as a skilled actor is I need to get into the bits of the text that I do know. So I've got to get into act one, see how this story starts, see who the characters are, see what sets this in motion. I've got to get into act two and see how the, the plot develops, how the, how the story goes, what its trajectories are. And if I've got act four, if I know how the story ends, I'm going to, I'm going to want to immerse myself in that and understand the end of this story as well as I possibly can. The better I familiarize myself with the story that I do know, the better I'm ready to live the part that's unwritten and that's been assigned to me. Folks, I've offered you that as an illustration for thinking about the Bible. And we said a moment ago that the Bible's that play, that play in four parts. But there's room in this story for us to play our part. Act three of the biblical story tells the story of redemption. Set in motion way back in the Old Testament, culminating in Jesus Christ, but still being worked out in our times. Let me, let me explain that to you. If redemption was set in motion as soon as God began to act in grace towards his people, and if it takes us right up to the point where there's a new creation, we live in a time when redemption's already set in motion, but it's not yet completed, not yet the new creation. So we're, we're in between Acts 3 and 4. We're living in Act 3, Scene 2. So our question, and the question we're trying to answer in this series, how are we going to live in these times? It's not going to be by believing abstract ideas about God. It's about discovering His story and taking up our place in it. We've got to be people who know the story that we're a part of. There's a, a moment near the end of Reality Bites where Lelena, the character you saw in the opening clip there, she finally runs aground. Her, her dreams of becoming a, a movie maker are, lie shattered beneath her feet. I was really going to be something by the age of 23, she says. Doesn't matter what age we are, does it? 23, 13, 83. We're still trying to be something, trying to know who that someone is.
Lelena's best friend, Troy, he's with her at that moment and he comforts her. Honey, all you have to be by the age of 23 is yourself. But I don't even know who that is anymore. Well, I do. And I love her. Friends, do you see it? Do you see what we're talking about here this morning? We're lost. We had hoped by now that we'd be someone, someone maybe different than we are. Like Lelena, we say, I don't even know who I am anymore. And our friend, our best friend in the universe, the Creator God, He comes and He says, you don't know who you are? Well, I do. And I love you. I've always loved you. That's why I made you just the way I did. And I know you've screwed up in a million ways, but I love you anyway, and I'm rescuing you just now. I'm going to make you into something in unimaginably beautiful. Something much more than you ever dreamed possible. Friends, that's our story. And we've got to know that we're people of this story. And we've got to live into it. Let's pray. Lord, we are sold so many lies and half-truths and rubbish stories. Thank you for your story. Thank you that it's more honest with us than our, our best friend or long, longest-term spouse could ever be. But I thank you that it's more gracious and kinder and more beautiful than we could ever have imagined. Lord, help us, each one of us, to see it, to see that the gospel, the invitation to live life with you is, is the greatest invitation we'll ever know. And help us today to say yes, to say yes to the invitation I'm going to return to God. Return to me, you say, and I'll return to you. Well, we're returning. And we want to find our place now in this story. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.